You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Are we ready for a feast? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read a whole psalm. This is Psalm 34. A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your face may never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard, heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamped around me, and those who fear him he delivers. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take their refuge in him, O fear the Lord, you, his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which of you desires life or covets many days to enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all. He keeps their bones. Not a one of them will be broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, but to those who hate, the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge In him will be condemned. The word of the Lord. It's pretty weird to talk about a song. Can we just admit that? To talk about a song just is odd. To talk through a song is odd. A couple of weeks ago, my favorite band, which is U2, and this, so this begins to date me and categorize me, but my favorite band, U2, Bono, Edge, Larry, and Adam, released a new radio channel on Sirius XM. And so, of course, I had to get a free trial. And it's really interesting to me as a fan to hear them talk about their music, because I've listened to their music for a long, long time. I've gone to every tour since the early 90s. That's a long time to be following this group. 
But it's, it's interesting to hear what they have to say and what other fans have to say and what other musicians and celebrities. But it's just odd to talk about songs, right? Because with music, we're, we're in it for the lyrics, for the instruments, the resonance of sound, what it does to us, how it makes us feel, the memories that it conjures up in us when we hear these songs. So to talk about music is just a little odd. It's kind of like if you're eating a meal and you've had a great meal and you get to the end of that meal and you have seen the dessert sitting there. You have smelled the dessert sitting there right in front of you on the buffet behind glass. Here we can insert your favorite dessert. Okay, whatever that is, we can be on the safe side. We'll just say chocolate cake. So there it is sitting there. You are full, but you have mentally made room in your stomach for more. Your taste buds are beginning to salivate. You have grabbed your fork and you are ready. And the host has cleared away all the dishes. Everything is gone. And you are ready. And then, boom! The host sets down right in front of you a sack of flour that makes a big puff of flour that gets in your eyes. And the host says, you know, tonight we're not going to be eating the dessert. We're going to be looking at the dessert and talking about the dessert's main ingredient, which is flour. Lovely, white, pure, silky flour. And at that point, the fork in your hand starts to set down. Your taste buds begin to dry up. You begin to look around and think, seriously? We're looking at this, but it's got to stay behind glass? And so in your mind, you're thinking, I think I have somewhere to go. I'm going to slip out of this dinner party. I'm going to at least go to Wendy's and get a Frosty or something because I'm all ready. I made room in my stomach for this sweet thing. Right? It's weird like that to talk about a song. And whenever we come to these psalms, there are other layers to the strangeness. Well, a funny thing happened on these psalms to the recording studio. They didn't make it to the recording studio. We've got the words, we don't have the music. In fact, we don't even know what the different notations of the music mean. We can guess, but we don't know. So how in the world does one song, let alone 150 songs, survive 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years or more and come to us? That is a little strange. Could it be that maybe there's a little more to the music than the music? That there's more to the music than even the lyrics. There's something more to this group of psalms than what meets the eye or what meets the ear. I think so. I mean, it's, just, it's unfortunate that we don't have a recording. You know, we don't have a Spotify channel. We don't have a YouTube channel of psalms, 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 more psalms. Now, we do have musicians, right, who've taken these psalms and they've put them to music and they've given them music because any really good talented musician if they've got lyrics in need of a song they're going to provide the song right because you've got to bring that feeling to it 
But there's more to the song than meets the eye or the ear, more than meets the lyrics. Now today you probably noticed as I read the, read the scripture that I read the little title, the subheading, before the psalm. Did you notice that? Now your Bible is a contemporary Bible, probably has different paragraph markers, different descriptions, all through the First and Second Testament, the Old and New Testaments, right? Well, those are added by translators. But here in the Psalms, those are actually in the text. It gives us a little bit of the story of the song. It gives us some history. And they're added at different points in time. But we get a hint about the story of this song, that it's a psalm of David when he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech. Now here's where things get a little weird, a little odd. The liner notes here seem to be a little off because David in Samuel 21, 1 Samuel 21, did not feign insanity before Abimelech, but before Achish, king of Gath. So what's going on? Is the scripture flawed here? Are the liner notes wrong? Did the typist make it incorrect? Well, most likely Abimelech is a title like king. It's a title for a Philistine king, like Pharaoh is a title for an Egyptian leader, or like later, Caesar is a title for a Roman leader, or today, a prime minister in Britain, right? So Abimelech is not only a person's name, but a title of King Achish. Well, here's the story. David is on the run from Saul, King David, the second king of Israel. He's already been anointed king, but Saul is still king. So you can imagine why Saul's a little ticked off at David, why he wants to get rid of David, wants to kill him. David's running from Saul, happens to run into the king of Gath, an enemy. And so what does he do in this moment of fear but begin to fake his own craziness? To scratch on the doorposts and the gates of the city to let it drool, fall across his beard, and to say crazy things to the point where King Achish says, i got enough madmen in Philistine. Let's get rid of this guy. And they do nothing with him. So David escapes Saul, and he escapes Achish. So we've got that story, that background, and it's a story that comes to us and gives us a bit of what's going on, but I'm telling you there's more to this psalm than just the story. A psalm that begins in these first ten verses with a recognition of personal deliverance. Where David is saying, I have been rescued. Come and join with me in magnifying the Lord. Let's lift our voices to God because of the deliverance that I have encountered. Well, there's more to this story because something deeper is present here. In fact, if you look beyond the music, beyond the lyrics, you begin to see that something is being taught. For example, if the main ingredient, the sack of flour, is identified in this text, if we were to look at it, it's a teaching about the fear of the Lord. We're invited with David into this recognition that we should fear the Lord. Now look with me in verse 8 and 10. If you start to notice, there's some strange images and metaphors. And I like this. Because musicians, they don't explain stuff to us. They just paint a picture. They sing a song. They sing us into a landscape. 
And the landscape that we're sung into is of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Again, I step back and I scratch my head and I say, wait a second, taste and see? Taste in order to see? It seems like the, the taste buds, the senses, are a little mingled up together. That the biology is a bit mangled. I mean, I thought we're supposed to taste for this wonderful meal of having something on our taste buds. That it's not about seeing anything. That's the eyes. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Now, how, how does that work? I mean, with chocolate cake, if you start talking, you're talking about the taste. I thought it's all about taste and, and having that on your on your tongue and, and maybe we talk a little bit about how that chocolate was processed or where it came from and is it dark chocolate or is it milk chocolate okay well all right so so maybe tasting is a doorway into talking about something may it maybe it is a gateway into experiencing the very presence of god taste and see that god is good well as we look at this doorway, we find that our main meal, our main course, is God. That our satisfaction, our hunger, is beginning to be focused upon God. And this recognition of the fear of God is of what ultimately satisfies us. Now here we've got to spend a little time, because when I hear the word fear, and probably when you hear it, we hear runaway kind of fear. We hear cower in the corner kind of fear. We hear, oh no, those thieves want to take my purse. They want to take my wallet. I've got to run away from the abuse that I'm about to incur, right? So fear is all about kind of running away. Well, we're not looking at that kind of threatening understanding of fear. That's not God. God's not inviting you into a relationship where you're terrified all the time. This is a relationship of respect, of trust, a relationship of reverence, where we recognize the authority and the power of God, and we bring our lives under God's authority. We join our power, our limited power, with God's power. So fear is all about this honoring and respect that we're supposed to give to God. The images keep coming. The images of what we can do when we come under the authority of God is it's as if the army of the angel of, is like an army protecting us. Our sleeping bag is in the middle of the forest, but we're encircled, surrounded by the Lord's protection. That's a beautiful image. In verse 8, it talks about that angel and that refuge, that we can find happiness and security whenever we've hidden ourselves with God. So when we want to run away at school, when we want to hide under our desk at work, we want to make sure our boss is not checking up on us, when we want to hide because we're afraid, we're going into the protection of God. We don't have to fear at work or at school. Well, in verse 10, it almost seems like things are overstated. Look, look at Let's look at that closely here. Well, let's look at verse 9. O fear the Lord, you His holy ones, for those who fear Him have no want. The young lions, they suffer want and hunger, 
But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Kind of starts to sound overstated. No want? You don't lack any good thing? Really? We're not talking about fulfilling every one of our desires. We're not talking about everything that I think that I want and I need. But the image that's given to us is of these young lions. Young lions can prey on anything in the wild. They're hungry, they eat. There's no beast that can stop them. And the psalmist sings that even they get hungry. The cooks in the household know what this is like. When the young lions in the household gather around the table, they may be fed by the most wonderful meal of all, satiated. But you know what happens in three or four hours? The young lions come sniffing around the kitchen, opening up the pantry, wondering where their next meal is coming from. Right? We know how this works. But with God, there's something more than the satisfaction of one meal to the next meal. When our hunger is for God, we will find fullness. We will find satisfaction. We will lack want. Because those that seek and want to be filled up with God will be full. God will let that happen. He will make that happen. But there's still more. Still ever more to this psalm. More beyond the lyrics. More beyond this main ingredient. But this knowledge of God, of coming into the ability to dance with God, we're invited into this instruction, this education. In verse uh, 11, we get the calling from a schoolhouse almost. Come children, listen to me. The calling cry for what it would be to come to school. And we're pretty aware of this right now, right? The, the, the Israelites, they're not thinking about building a classroom or a schoolroom. They're not worried about building an online platform. All of those things are very important, right? And I, I want to say that as far as what's important to us in our society right now, I know jobs and I know money are really important, but education, the education of our youth, there is no greater resource for us to invest. If we live in a world where we're not fully willing to go all in on the advancement of our children, our society begins to slow to a halt. It just doesn't go well. If we don't believe in reading books, if we just believe in doing things online and not looking at real literature, we will go hungry. You know, right now, this call is almost a charge to all of us. This call of the psalmist, come children, listen to me. It's a call to grandparents, and parents, and guardians. Because what we're about to face in the fall threatens to be one of the greatest wedges between the haves and the have-nots that we've seen in a long, long time. It's going to be much harder for the have-nots. And so our investment, our investment in all of our children is priority. It's huge. Anybody can stumble into some money. Yes, it takes hard work. But not just because someone has a lot of money doesn't mean they have a big brain. It doesn't mean that they have a very open heart. It might just mean that they got an inheritance. We need people that are invested in the well-being, the mental well-being of our children. 
This has been an investment for a lot of you. You've raised kids. We've raised kids. We're in the middle of raising kids. We're proud of our kids. We've been very intentional in the ways that we've raised our kids. And I know you have too. And even though we're intentional, sometimes things don't work out the way we plan. So don't hear me the wrong way there. Some, this is God's work on that person. But one of the things that we've wanted to do with our kids is to raise them to where they naturally and easily want to be around God. Where they want to follow God. And we've begun to see rules from the very early on as not the end result, but guides, pointers. And a lot of times with parents, they think about adding more and more rules the older a child gets. If you just focus in on the rules, you will teach your children to focus in on the rules, to love the rules, to worship the rules, to enforce the rules, to engage the rules. We have to cast their eyes towards the bigger thing, the main ingredient, the sack of flour, which is the fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. That is what we're pointing them to. So it's about helping kids explore choices between good and bad, where even a bad choice becomes a great opportunity, a learning opportunity that can take place in the community of the family. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, this principle, it doesn't matter how big or small your household is, but coming to a principle where how do I begin to naturally and easily follow God? How does my desire for God become so deep and so pervasive that it is all that I want? The psalmist gives us an answer. This teaching, the schoolroom that he's sneaking us into as a song, gives us one answer. Look in verse 13. If you want to know how to find wisdom, you start with the tongue. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Start with your tongue. Control it. Hold it back from saying things that should not be said. Seek the shalom, the peace, the well-being of the human who is focused upon God. Now, I expect the psalmist to begin to go into all kinds of discussion about our body parts. But this is the main instruction that he gives. Get control of your tongues. Instead, the body parts that he talks about are God's body parts. Do you notice this? Look in verse, uh, the next, verse 14. 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers. The eyes of God are on the righteous. The ears are open to the cries of those who respect Him, those who fear Him. His face, His attention is focused upon confronting evil and doing away with evil. Now, does God have body parts? No, God does not have body parts. God is not, doesn't have a body. But we're getting this sense of God's full attention being upon us, and that is so encouraging that it allows us to seek God. On and on it goes. Are the righteous going to escape difficulties? No. 
It talks about potential of bones being crushed, of screaming out in pain. There are difficult things that the righteous endure. It's difficult. The difference is, is that with those that are seeking the Lord, they're finding their refuge in God. Because they know that their life might be so messed up, and it is, even the most pure, so messed up that we need God to untangle it. It's a recognition that we are not God. It's one of the biggest things that we teach our kids. That God is God, and I'm not God. To help our kids see that they are not God either. But to call out and to magnify and to worship and to draw their, the focus of their entire life towards God. That is huge. To depend upon the great other and not just ourselves. To come under the power of God and the authority of God. And that is even how the psalm closes in verse 22. Well, we've got to get practical, though. All this talk about psalms, all these words about beautiful music, help us to taste and see that God is good. Now, I don't really know how God's tasting to you right now. Is God tasting sweet? Do you find that God's tasting bitter, spicy, bland, stout, overpowering? What, what is the taste of God to you right now? Sometimes God tastes a particular way because of the circumstances that we're facing. Sometimes God tastes a certain way because of what we're feeding ourselves. Have you thought about this? We ingest a lot. We get anxious about a lot of topics, a lot of issues. A lot of things that are going on begin to affect our spiritual taste buds. And they kind of taint us a bit. They throw us off. Whenever we're taking in more and more information from Facebook or online news or from the television or from games or entertainment, Sure, we want to be informed. Sure, we want to be in touch. But what's the quantity of the information that we are consuming on those topics from other sources than Scripture? Have we thought about looking and seeing what things God talks about the most? What things are closest to God's heart? What, What is it that drives and motivates the very Spirit of God? What were the things that Jesus spoke about the most? What about the Old Testament prophets? What about Moses? What was the calling that was present there? And if we begin to think about our taste buds like that, we'll realize that Facebook is feeding us certain advertisements to get us to do certain things. That Amazon is steering us towards purchases that are in line with our previous purchases. Right? We're being steered. We're being guided. And so how do we take control of our taste buds and begin to seek this main ingredient? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, I think it's okay to talk about songs, isn't it? Something powerful has happened for a songbook like this to have stood the test of time and to be even detached, separated from the beautiful music and the resonance that goes with it. Even being separated from some of the wonderful stories, it's okay 
to talk about Psalms. It's okay to pursue teaching. Teaching about the fear of God because that puts us on a path where our deepest hunger, our deepest need is being met by God. Where God can become the dessert that we don't just talk about, but we enjoy, we relish in, because we want nothing more than to be closer and closer to God. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Wow, God, can old songs speak? You've, you've touched us, Father. We want to know You. We want to love You. We want to serve You. Would You help us with our taste buds to desire good spiritual foods? To let loose of emotions and anger or animosity, fear, that cowers in the darkness, to let go of those things and to cling on to you so that we can be happy, knowing that you are surrounding us, that even when difficult things come, we can cry out to you. God, we want you to be the one that we hunger for. We thank you for caring so much about us, for the love that you've shown us through Jesus. And we pray this through him by the power of the Spirit. Amen.